Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Shrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. Back again with me today in the studio, our regular guest, Brian Call. Brian's a 40-year veteran of the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. Like Willie Nelson says, on the road again. And here we go. And we've got Bill Sherrill back in the studio with us again today. He's a guy that's seen just about everything, puts on a lot of miles behind the wheel, and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Today, we have a special guest on the drive, Jason from Badger State Auto Brokers, located in Wausau, Wisconsin. Welcome. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Hey, great to have you here. Well, let's hop in, buckle up, and hit the road. Today, along with our on-site expert, Jason, we're going to share tips on buying a used car. During my research, I discovered that by the end of 2019, the average price of a new car, light truck, SUV, or crossover was just over $35,000. This is in comparison to 2012 when that number was less than 30000 As a result of the rising cost of new cars, nearly two-thirds of car buyers consider a used vehicle as their best option. While there are many reasons to consider a used car, one of the biggest is the rapid depreciation of a new car value. The average depreciation of a new car after only one year is around 23%, and some models can reach more than 35% depreciation. At average, that's a savings of over $8,000. Buying a three-year-old car that's coming off a lease can save nearly half the price of a new model. So if I'm not really ever been in the new vehicle, and when you're saying depreciation, does that mean like the loss of value? I bought this at a used car, a new number, I go to the used market, and it's 30% less that you're going to even start out. Absolutely. After yeah. I drive one mile in that car. <laughs> Theoretically, yeah, a lot of these cars nowadays, they're so well built and they do hold their value quite significantly. But these numbers are pretty accurate. When you get to that two, three year mark, they start to depreciate pretty quick. So really, isn't it? It's just the change of a new car, the word new versus used, right? Absolutely. That's where it drops. Yeah. And you can buy used cars that have been reconditioned to the point, for example, the vehicles that you guys buy from me, the amount of maintenance and things that they do to get it dialed back in, you wouldn't know the difference between that and, and a new one, to be honest. And a lot of these GM stores and Ford stores sell certified used vehicles, which are just as nice as and way less. So We'll get into that one. Yep. So you just said certified something. I have questions, but ah, back to it. you, Rob. <laughs> so long story short, I mean, it can make really good financial sense to consider a pre-owned vehicle. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. So really buying a car is a big deal. As a matter of fact, they consider it the second largest purchase you're going to make in your lifetime. Is that what everybody agrees with here? Definitely. Yes. After your house, if you buy a house. Right. And with the rising prices of used and new vehicles nowadays, it's not unusual to, you know, you're going to, it's a mortgage basically right. is what you're paying there by the time you're done. And your house will appreciate in value for a car. Right. As soon as you buy it, it goes down in value. Exactly. So it's really important that you take it seriously because it's a big deal. There's no doubt about it. So what's the benefit to, if there is any, to leasing a vehicle versus buying a used car or a new vehicle? Leasing, you are basically only paying for the depreciation and a little bit of interest. So say you have a two-year or three-year lease, there's a number that's called the residual amount and they determine it's a predetermined number and they decide that that's what it's going to be worth at the end of the three years if you keep the thing up like you're supposed to. And so you're just paying for that number, that depreciation number, plus interest on the loan on that. So you can get a lot of vehicle 
or a lot lower payment. However, you're not gaining any equity and you're giving it back. Whereas buying a new vehicle, purchasing it, your payment is going to be significantly higher because you're taking that whole big bite. However, you're also going to have equity in that automobile by the time you're done. If you keep it up at the end of that five-year note, you're going to have an asset there that is worth something. Whereas leasing, you gain no is there such things as leasing a used vehicle? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And oh. the manufacturers don't typically partake in that. There are many finance companies that do it, and it's the same formula. It's a little m- more risky for actually the person doing the financing because you have to be accurate on your determination what that car is going to be worth at the end of the lease, and you could be off. And But it's a risk that they take, and you're getting that thing back. It's kind of a good deal for the bank or whoever's doing it because they're going to sell that vehicle at the end. So. That's interesting. So even my talk about even in a new vehicle, you can spend potentially more money because you're only paying for the amount that you use. The right. same would be on a used vehicle. Yeah. You can get a, a newer model used vehicle yes. if you potentially are looking at leasing it. Yes. Leasing used vehicles is not real popular and you don't hear about it much, particularly now with interest rates as low as they are. The reason the used car market is booming is rates are great. So it goes back to uh, that conversation we had earlier about if um, you're going to spend 50000 on a new vehicle or 37000 on a used one and your interest rate's the same, hey, we're all want to save money. You're just going to go ahead and buy that used vehicle and save $13,000. Manufacturers are the ones that you get the good rates from when you buy a new vehicle, 0%, 1.9. Well, Prime is like less than 3% right now. Right. So money's almost free. You can get a used car loan for 2% if you're shopping around. You can get a lot of cars for... Wow. So now, do you see the lease vehicles coming in through your dealership then? Not often. Our target is more of um, a second vehicle or what I've kind of, I don't know, modified our system into is we like to sell, for example, to companies. Uh, we sell to you guys. We sell to many electrical contractors and builders and such, and also for a teenager's first car. So I don't typically have anything that's 17, 18, 19 model years. We like to do a little bit older, that type of vehicle. I see at every auction plenty of lease returns coming through, and they're bringing a little more money than what I did expect them to do, but that's because there's just such a shortage. Shortage right, right so, now, yeah. sure. And when we get vehicles from you, they're typically four to five years old, yep. yeah. 80 to 100,000 miles, and we'll run them out 200, 300,000 yes. miles. Yeah. So our cost of ownership is very low. We get rid of that upfront depreciation of three to four years. Correct. Yeah, and you guys have a real good, where you decided to land and buy at, that's, that's fantastic. You're getting these cars with just about 100000 on. You guys go back through them and recondition them. You got a vehicle, you're going to get another 200000 out for, it's like a 30% of what that thing was new sometimes. So it's a good way to do it if you have a good way of keeping the maintenance and stuff up. You bring up a good point, both of you, in regards to the buying them at 100,000 miles. Yeah. Now, I remember back in the day, oh. that was like the end of its life. Of course. Yep. I just dealt with an individual this morning who came in and she had a nice Mazda SUV. And I couldn't understand what she was looking to get rid of it. Well, she had 104000 on it, and she was losing her mind. And I said, listen, these things are built to go 200 without a bat of an eye. You gosh, anymore, 100,000 miles is closer to 25,000 yes. miles back when Rob and I started in this industry. <laughs> Do you see yeah. that to be true in the actual valuations as well versus just saying cars run for longer? Does it really play out when I bring my vehicle back in at 200000 is it really two-thirds the way yeah. it's life cycle, financially, I'll say? Yeah. There's other factors that dial into that equation, like you know maintenance and how you keep it up. But the magic number is around that 200000 Then it, there's still a mentality, that's getting pretty high, where that would be an equivalent 
to what I would say would be a 100,000-mile vehicle 15, 25 years ago, something like that. So So we really shouldn't be afraid of that 100,000-mile car. No, nope. The big thing is, and I think we'll get into it, is just doing your homework on, there's a lot of vehicles out there that can really go to heck on you at 100,000 if you haven't done that regular maintenance or even the the severe maintenance intervals on some of them. And you got to just make sure you're doing your homework before you jump into anything. But with 100,000, it's just getting into the sweet spot, to be honest, as far as value and life left. Perfect. Yeah, we really kind of went through that and we've got a pretty good idea now where we're going to head from here. And as far as used or pre-owned or new or leased or whatever the case may be. So borrowed. I'm going to try and buy. Is there there a mark for borrowing? (laughs) There is not. Oh, darn. (laughs) So, I mean, the big question, where do we start? So if I'm in the market or anybody's in the market for a used vehicle, just like we had talked about, where do you begin? Where's the best place to start? This is, again, not a small thing. You got to really think about it seriously because, again, it could be the next big thing next to your house. The place to start in my research, is you've got to come up with a budget. You've got to set a budget. You've got to decide what you're able to do. Your financial institution can help you with that as well. The car dealership can help you with that. But you've got to know what your finances are available and where you want to be. So you've got to set a budget. And then after that, you've got to decide on the right car. Jason, I would believe that when somebody comes to your lot or when somebody gives you a call and says they're looking for a certain car, are you able to help them through that? Are you able to help them understand and realize what they're able to do? Yes. Yes. And that's part of the, I guess you'd call it the pre-qualification process or the first conversation you're going to have with them. Now, when I was at, I was at various uh, dealerships, Ford stores and Mazda stores through the years on my adventures here. There's always, a, I guess, quote unquote, a script or a certain pre-qualification process. I've got mine down pat just to the point where I have a conversation with them and ask them what they want, period. And ask them, a lot of people say, well, I want a, a Chevy Aveo. Well, why do you want that? And I need to know, well, because their mom had one or something. There's sometimes irrational reason why they want it. They just heard it or saw it on TV. Where if you have a conversation, you say, what do you need? Well, my, my son is six feet, three inches tall. We need to have headroom. We also need four-wheel drive. We need a third row, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then... At that point, you can just determine what type of vehicle they want pretty easily. So, so it's not the Chevy Aveo. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's funny I brought that up. I just took one of those in on trade today, and it's, it just is stuck in my head. Chevy Aveo. Chevy Aveo. Six foot third, three. Third, third row seat. <laughs> yes. But as a consumer, you got to think about some of those things. So what are those categories that are really helpful? Personally, being not six foot three, right. I would never really think about headroom as a qualifier for right. a car. Yes, and the reason I brought that up as I ran that to this week, but I got a kid that was looking at a car and he was in love with everything it was until he sat in the thing and his cap was rubbing on the roof and that was it. It didn't work for him. He was too small. So you can always kind of tell if they're a family, you know, you may be looking for a van or a third row SUV or something like that. If it's a young man and maybe his wife, they don't always need the family vehicle quite yet. Well, then that'll help bring their budget down to more of a reasonable area for them. A lot of people think they need that $30,000 Chevy Tahoe or whatever, and that may not fit their needs. They can get away very easily with the, something else. What do you define if someone says headroom? What does that translate to into a category that I should think about? SUVs. That's They're taller inside in pickup trucks where a lot of people say the seat goes back, but I think they forget about the torso on a human being. So okay. SUVs are just taller inside, and that's what I've seen work for a lot of these. I mean, kids are big nowadays. I can't right. believe some of these yeah. athletes. <laughs> and you'd be amazed that I used to sell Dodge Neons and Chevy Cavaliers and all the little cars. Well, as big as the 
16 and 17 year olds are nowadays, my gosh, you have to get a bigger SUV or even a pickup truck for them. And trucks aren't the most economical decision, but guess what? You fit in it. So. Right. So then obviously you have to know if you want a two door or four door, Right. a pickup or a sedan or an SUV. So yes. the style of vehicle. Big deal. Yeah. And do you guys remember back in the day? We all wanted that two-door uh, oh, Grand Prix yeah. had or Monte Carlo yeah. or whatever. Nobody wants that anymore. No. Even the kids, they think it's geeky. Oh, look at that two-door car. It's old-fashioned or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. You and... have to plop the seat forward <laughs> yeah. to get in the yep. back. Too yep. much work. Yep. Too much work. So, And the two doors, the doors are humongous. They swing right. open wide. Yep. And just They don't like them. that. Nope. So nice little four-door cars, they go a long way nowadays. So I guess the way to approach this is to figure out what car, you made a good point earlier, Jason, figure out what car you want or what type of vehicle you want, and then sit in it. Make sure that you fit in it. Yes. Obviously, if you're looking for a headroom, it's not a Lamborghini, but maybe an SUV. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So what are some of the most popular, or I should say most common used vehicles or most popular used vehicles out there? Well, we talked about it earlier. The Ford F-150 is the best-selling vehicle in the United States. It's been for years and years. It's super popular and reliable, and it gets used in a lot of different applications for a family, also for many companies, fleet companies, plumbing companies, contractors. They use the F-Series truck as well. So the pickup, the F-150 Ford pickup is the most popular used car. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. That's hilarious. It is. Nice. And it, I see we have written here, though, but the Honda CRV is a very popular, very reliable vehicle. Not cheap. Those are good cars, so they, they're not, you steal them anytime. Mm-hmm. People know what they have, but they're very popular. Toyota Camrys, Ford Fusions, Chevy Malibus, all really popular, practical inexpensive cars that go a long way if you treat them right the stuff you need to kind of stay away from if we're if we're going there is the weird imports there's a lot of aged imports out there people like audi makes a great car but as soon as it gets into aged it's very expensive to fix aged being how many miles that one is about one hundred and fifty thousand. Okay. now well still that's a lot of years of enjoyment on a car before it like gets aged yes and let's not make a mistake that these cars are great cars if they've been maintained through the whole thing i mean you can get three hundred thousand out of a mercedes or a bmw or an audi however if you're kind of lax on that those cars can be real trouble and interior things lots of expensive electronics and those foreign cars and boy they get expensive so is there a color that is more popular <laughs> in the used market I like than this any question. other? That's I mean, good. Well, I'm just like, that's so good. What do you guys think? I'm going to say the most popular color is probably silver. Okay. I'm going to guess white. Okay. In the United States? Yeah. So white is probably the most common color. It's really popular, easy to keep clean in that. But red, red, really? red is more expensive to buy because it's just flashy and <laughs> people like it. And black vehicles. People love how black cars look. However, they're very hard to keep clean. And every time you touch it, you smudge it and you can see it. But yeah. I prefer white. I'm all my own personal vehicles are white. I know your guys are. I well. have a black car and I oh, live on a gravel driveway. <laughs> oh. So don't tell me about dirty cars. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was at the gas pump just the other day and a guy looked at me and was like, oh, you live on a gravel driveway, don't you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, how can you tell? <laughs> Yes. Boy, they look nice when they're clean, but boy, they get dirty. Yeah, I know. You get down into the Southwest where you got the blistering heat. The light-colored cars are so much more popular. Yes, yes. And that's, you know, you guys, your company vehicles, you want white, and I get them from Southern Climate. You know, I pick Mm -hmm. those up in Texas and Florida and that, and they're not hard to find in that color. So Southern means no rust, right? Correct. Yep. Nice. And that's a big deal. And that was actually, Brian is kind of working on 
getting the fleet all dialed in and these hundred thousand mile again hundred thousand mile rust-free vehicles are just fantastic because that body your problem was you were having vehicles rusting out right mm -hmm. absolutely we all do wisconsin's brutal so if you can get them that they spent the first eight ten years of their life even five six in texas florida somewhere where there's no salt on the roads that life of that car is going to double literally so yeah i had a suburban at one point that had four hundred fifty thousand miles on it but big holes in the body it rusted out before i wore it out <laughs> yeah see so yeah. is that a strategy that somebody comes to you and says to have a longer extension on this used vehicle i want the vehicle to come from the south absolutely mm -hmm. that man yep. right there does yep. it all the time yep okay. yeah and i make six probably six trips to dallas or fort worth a year to get vehicles and so is back. that something that you have to disclose from to the consumer on where it came from? I, I mean, do. is just the well, you may, but just yeah. in general, does the industry have to do that? There's no real law. However, on a used vehicle, when you buy it, there's a vehicle history area on the Wisconsin Buyer's Guide that you do have to state where it was titled in last so they can see clearly right on the window sticker this one came from texas or that right. and truth be told that's a selling point it really helps right. tell somebody the, Ooh, they love that selling point as well as good information for the buyer yes if yes. you're really understanding like the yes. concept of okay this is a hundred thousand miles rust I can, free right rust free and i can buy at a lower price but still have another two hundred thousand yes, to go exactly the big thing you have to look out for when buying a southern vehicle as well though Floods happened down there, yep, and flooding. man, that was a real problem a couple of years ago. There's a lot of vehicles that were making their way up here, and they had been underwater, and so that's... So I can ask you that, though, can't I? Yeah. Have, have, yeah. Has the vehicle ever been flooded out? Yes, and hopefully in good faith, whomever you would be buying that vehicle from would just come clean and say... So what kind of issues would you find in a pre-flood vehicle? Oh, man. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Without it. getting in too deep. Post-flood, I think it's <laughs> is a post-flood. Yeah, post-flood. Yeah. Post yep. Yeah, electrical water is a great conductor, so yeah. you get those Knocks plugs. out computers, yep. and wipers can just all of a sudden start going on their own. Yes, he's correct. Weird things happen. So you it's really don't want a flood vehicle. No. no. <laughs> we like to buy them. If, you know, we have a body shop as well, and we'll buy vehicles that have been damaged in accident. We'll buy an entire flood vehicle for a parts vehicle because those body panels are fantastic. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. They got a little wet. Well, they get wet every day. So, But in the rest, the interior, you can get them cleaned out and get them smelling nice inside but being underwater is still the issue with mold and yuck in there you just don't want to do it so let's just say that we've figured out what kind of vehicle we want we've sat in it we got the headroom you're thinking yeah this is for me you got to try to figure out what the value is of it and the kelly blue book or nada 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 is that where you find this information yeah and that's a good guide to use the kelly blue book they both both them companies do they use a uh information that they get from vehicle registrations and various sources to do an average of what that vehicle's value is. However, sometimes one has to take into consideration that they'll have their car and they look at it and go, wow, my car's worth $9,000. That's fantastic. Well, that includes all the really nice ones from California <laughs> and all the other clean ones. You're in the rust belt up here in Wisconsin, so your 10-year-old Lumina isn't going to be nearly as nice as the one from California. So that's something one needs to take into consideration. Thank God Kelly and Nata do now ask for a zip code when you go to book that it out. It does down. Yeah, it kind of brings those averages back to where they should be. So as a consumer, those resources are really where you want to go to try to figure out about what the value is of the vehicle you're looking for. Yes. That yeah, that's all there really is out there. And it's kind of a hard thing for people. It's a lot of guesswork when you're looking at it. The other thing that helps also is 
just combing through the ads. If there's a Silverado you're looking at and you see a bunch of them that are significantly less, well, then guess what? You're, the one you're looking at might be priced a little high. So, But use NADA. You always want to use, if you're buying private party, you should just use the Kelly Blue Book private party price. Person that's selling it's always going to check that excellent box, but very seldom are they in excellent condition. You got to, so you do your own research, you check off that it's either fair or good condition, use that as a baseline. Then when you go and look at it, and hey, maybe there's four brand new Goodyear's on it and it's been cleaned up real nice and you can tell it's got a good maintenance history, then you bump your value either up or down from there. So there's a lot to this. We really got to be sharp and on our game if we're considering that second big purchase of our life. Yes. No doubt about it. People get exhausted buying cars, it's a tough task. Well, because we haven't even talked about engine style parts, right. specialty thing. I mean, like, I, my head spins when you start to get <laughs> yes. into it and be asked those questions, even in the Kelly Blue Book. Yes. What vehicle are you looking for of what you have? And I don't know which letter follows the car brand, you know, model that I have. Bill, you talk about your head spinning. That's not all there is, is just the price and the engine and the right, transmission. Exactly. There's also insurance cost. I guess right. the cost to maintain and operate this vehicle on an annual basis. And that can be a big part of your investment. So you've got your insurance cost, your fuel expense. I don't even know how the heck you calculate that unless you know exactly how many miles you're going, but that's a big piece of it. One of the other things is what size tire does it have on it? That's a big thing too. All of a sudden you got something with a 20, 21, 22 inch tire on it and you just got a set of tires over a thousand dollars when you got to replace them next time. And you didn't even think about that when you were looking at this car. It just looked really nice. Right. And had shiny tires on it. Yeah. Cleaned them up good. Low profile. And Mm -hmm. absolutely. The estimated annual maintenance expense, you really should, as you said, Jason, you really need to be doing some of the maintenance on it on a regular basis. So what's that going to cost you? That's all a part of this backing up to the beginning, the starting your budget or setting your budget. And then we talked also briefly earlier about setting up financing approval with your lender. Anybody have any insight on that? That's come a long way. I deal with it on a daily basis. And you can literally log into your favorite credit union or bank's website, get your pre-approval. You put your VIN that you're looking at, all that stuff. They book it out. They use NADA. Banks use NADA. And they'll tell you, you'll get a pre-approval literally within minutes. I, for years, was a finance manager at franchise store. And that's the same job I did. And I got paid good money to do that. Now you can go right on do it right from your phone if you want and get your pre-approval. Oh, wow. Yeah, it gives you that much more buying power that you can go in and be educated. Hey, I got a budget. Here's what I got to do. So, As a seller, is that something that you ask from the person? Not typically. I, I make the assumption or you're saying, hey, ha- do you have a pre-approval? Yes, yes. In the big franchise stores, part of your interview process is have you, been, have you obtained financing? Where are you at? Typically, when they come into a you know, smaller used car dealership, you kind of know that they're ready to go. And I do ask them, it's like, are you financing? Are you paying cash? Just like, I'm doing that so I know where we're at, time frame and stuff. And usually they get an answer pretty quick. So, Well, we do have a link you can check out on our website that kind of goes through all of this for you at allaboutthecarpodcast.com. So check that out. Well, we've done our homework. We've got to run through the all the hard part, I guess, about setting up your budget and getting ready and deciding on what kind of car you're going to have and all the expenses and all that stuff. So now it's time to shop. That's the fun part. So as we always do in every All About the Car podcast, we always take a right turn off the main road and make a road trip to a really cool place in Wisconsin somewhere. 
And this time we're heading to Wisconsin Maritime Museum at Manitowoc. Where the heck is Manitowoc, you might ask? There's Manitowish, Manitowoc. Brian, where is Manitowoc? Uh, it's over on Lake Michigan, just south of Green Bay. So it's right on the lake. Right on Highway 10. Which might explain why it is a maritime museum, because there's a lot of history in regards to the maritime history of Wisconsin and a lot of the shipping operations over there. Have you been there, Brian? Yeah, I've actually been there a couple of different times. Really enjoyed it. We stayed overnight on the USS Cobia, which is a World War II submarine. Had a bunch of kids and camped out overnight, and it was a lot of fun. So you actually stayed there overnight? Yep, slept on top of a torpedo one night. Now, I'm assuming that this was through an organization. The Maritime Museum has this available, where you can actually stay overnight on the submarine. So I can buy a ticket to sleep on a torpedo. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Fantastic. I did He's not know it. that. Hey, awesome. I know what I'm doing this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you get to cook there? We ordered in pizza and ate it before we went on to the submarine. We had snacks on board, ate in the galley. So do you get locked into the submarine, or do you have access to the other parts of the museum? We can get out of the submarine, but the museum itself is... No, I believe they had the museum open for restroom use. Okay. I was going to say, like... (laughs) It's been a couple years, but... Awesome. So this sub is actually attached. It's not floating out there. It's attached to the dock or whatever, if you or the land, right? It is floating. It is actually floating. It's moored up against the dock, but it is floating. Wow. Once a year, they fire up the diesel engines. This thing has been painstakingly renovated for many, many years. That's crazy. That is definitely something we want to do, Jason. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's I'm as close to a unique Airbnb experience as I think I can get. <laughs> yes. It looks like they have it set up, too, where they show how they made ship ships and did the shipbuilding back in the 1840s as well, which is one of the first industries in the newly formed state of Wisconsin. And I see they also have a model ship gallery. It looks like a pretty good-sized room with a bunch of model ships. And the Wisconsin-built boat gallery. So we must have uh, been in the boat business way back then. That whole area from Manitowoc down to Milwaukee, all the way up to Escanaba, Michigan, was instrumental in the boating, the armed forces for years and years. They pumped out lots of ships and lots of submarines out of Manitowoc during World War II. Quite a few years ago, I worked for a company. I was a fleet sales manager for selling vehicles, and I would love to go over there and make sales calls on the various shipbuilders out there. And I honestly, it was just because it's so neat. It's so cool seeing their operation and there's dozens and dozens of shipbuilders over there. Yeah, they're still building the premium yachts. Carver yachts in, yes. in that area. As well as you can learn about the aquatic invasive species, kind of the negative side of some of the shipping industry yes. and the going back and forth. But a really important thing to understand how you as an individual can affect those things and why boat landings you're supposed to rinse and dump water and all that that type of thing that the Maritime Museum, you can learn a little bit more about it too and the effects on the Great Lakes. I have learned a lot about Manitowoc today for sure. Before we leave, you got to yeah. also remember there's a sub pub. I see that and I'm all over that. Yeah. A sub pub. So that must mean beer and maybe drinks and I would think uh, so. you're pr- pretty close to that submarine. Probably right across the street. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about that. All right, back at it. We're going to get back off the road and back in gear here. It was time to shop for that used vehicle. So we've got it all figured out. We know what we're looking for. 
there's many ways of looking for that used vehicle, car, truck, SUV, whatever it is that you're looking for. Of course, as our expert here, Jason, talking about a pre-owned car lot, there's social media ads. You talked about, I think, Marketplace earlier. Yep. Referrals. What do I mean by that? You may have a friend that bought a vehicle from a particular dealership. You can talk to them, ask them online. You can find them there as well. Car vending machines? Is that really a thing, Jason? That's a thing. Yep. I never thought I'd see it, but it, it's real. <laughs> and they're doing well. So. Are they really? Where? Yeah. Where is All the, over the country. There's one in Chicago. I've seen it. I've yep. driven by it. And Milwaukee just got theirs. Did they really? Yeah. Carvana is the name that has these car vending machines. And it's exactly as you think. It's a big vending machine. Looks like a giant Coke machine. Yep. And they're stacked up in there. And yeah, so I just put my else. credit card in. <laughs> really? I assume yep. I don't bring cash. Literally, yep. that's the way it works? Yeah, somewhat. You, there's sort a little of. more to it. it Wisconsin still has pretty strict paperwork laws as far as signatures and stuff. It's important. There's a title involved and you got to make sure you're compliant. But in the various other states, yeah, sometimes you can, it's a 10 minute transaction. If you get it done quick enough, you type your information in. Now there's this e-sign, which is as good as a real signature in everybody's eyes. So pick out your car and you can even <laughs> test drive them. There's an attendant there. So it's not I was like just gonna, that was my question. Is there somebody even there? there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. He kind of helps you work your way through it, but he's not a salesperson. He's not a manager. He's just an attendant. And I think that gives them plausible deniability where it's literally you're on your own. You're buying it. That's it. So so is the structure like a car parking ramp in the cities where it goes up and they're on elevators? Yes, similar to that. It literally moves. It is an extraordinary thing. And it's quite a feat of engineering, but it's a big machine with cars stacked in there and <laughs> move around and it's something else. They're doing well. They're selling. I think people have kind of enjoyed the online buying experience, being independent, doing it themselves. And let's face it, not a lot of people like to carry on conversation either. Anymore. So they just <laughs> yeah. want to get their car. Well, and that's get true. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. They have a seven day, I think, return policy. I believe I, Carvana and those types do. And I believe that's actually somewhat of a requirement for doing what they consider an offsite sale. So buyer's remorse law or oh, something. Man. I don't know what yep. it's called for yeah. that, but yeah. Honey, I came home with a new car. I was driving by the car vending machine. And I just saw the one I needed, so I just used the credit card. It's not a Coke. It's a yeah, car. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All I wanted was a candy bar. Mm-hmm. Is there a deposit that you have to put in? Oh, I would imagine, yeah. I'm not sure the whole process because it didn't come to Wisconsin until very recently. But, yeah, I think you can even obtain your financing. So you get pre-approved and do your thing, and now that all can be done online as well. So. You head on over to the vending machine and take care of it. I always like to see, you know, the item from the vending machine, the little scroll, <laughs> yeah, scroll and it the drops. Car drop. So then like this thing, and this car comes down a slide and you just what if step it's right hanging in. Hanging there by the bumper. You yeah, it's a guy shake machine. Yeah. Can you get two? <laughs> yeah. You got enough money, you can get two. No, yeah. no. It's oh, up in there and two drops. <laughs> yeah, like the fun guns. Come on, if I yeah, shake exactly. it, I'm getting both bags. Yeah, I don't it's think it's crazy. We should do a road trip to one we of these We should. We should. Yeah, yes. that would be something else because I've never seen them in person. I just find it interesting, of course. It's my industry. So that'd be fun. So there's a lot of different ways to look for a car. And and I've just talked about the, uh, the car lot, social media, referrals online, car vending machines. So are there benefits? Pros and cons, I guess, are benefits to buying from a car dealer versus a private park. So I'm biased. <laughs> of course you are. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. However, I don't think people really understand the excruciating level of work it takes for a car dealership to get a vehicle, get it set up, get it inspected, fix any problems, and then get it out on the lot. It's not 
I think there's a misconception often that dealers buy them, wash them, and stick them out and flip them. There are plenty of dealers that do that, and I'm not a fan. But we go through ours very well. Most around here, there's lots of reputable dealerships that do it the right way. And you actually, when you buy a used vehicle from a car dealer, it has to have this Wisconsin Buyer's Guide. And I know, I know you uh, listeners can't see what I'm doing, but I'm holding up a Wisconsin Buyer's Guide. And it's a very important part of the buying process. It defines what we have to inspect by law. And we can't lie. We have to check it off and make sure everything passes and it's a good vehicle. Whereas if you're buying from a private party, none of that. Wisconsin's a no-fault state. So if you buy a car from a guy and it breaks in half, you own both halves of that car. That's all there is to it. (laughs) So there's no warranty. There's no laws that cover a private party sale. No, no. And you can take somebody to court, but to be perfectly honest with you, they're going to that very seldom do they side on the with the seller or the excuse me the buyer because you have to do a little diligence. I don't want to sound condescending here, but don't trust the seller always. Don't always trust the seller. Everybody's gonna be interested in selling their own private party car, and it's because they they're trying to get rid of it. So there's a lot of research that goes into buying them. So really, as a car dealer, you're really acting as a partner in the sale with the buyer. Really? Yes. And if you have the right mindset, I'm not trying to say there's a lot of bad dealers, but back in the day, remember the 80s, oh, you know, yeah. sawdust in the rear ends and all that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now they hold us to a higher standard and hopefully they're doing things right. I still always encourage, even if you're buying it from a dealership, ask if you can have it inspected. There's Cheryl Tired Services all over. Take it over there. They do a great job. That's who we have inspect our vehicles as well. We do our own independent inspection at our shop, but we always want to put a second set of eyes on it because you know, you want to make sure that everybody's catching everything. So you don't look down on that when somebody wants to have it inspected offsite. Nope. I encourage it. If somebody says, can I have it inspected? Yeah, absolutely. Go take it. I want you to be comfortable. You want to be comfortable buying it. If there's something wrong, I'm going to make it right. We're not trying to hide anything. And if I think I saw here, if, you know, somebody, if the dealership's not willing to let them go get the vehicle inspected, that's kind of a red flag to be honest with you. Okay. Is there anything to the idea of bringing a friend or somebody else with you for another perspective other than you as the car dealer? Everybody always has that expert in the family. My brother-in-law has been a mechanic for 14 years. Yeah, he works at the paper mill. Okay, he's not a mechanic, but I get it. Yeah, bring your friend along and get another set of eyes. People get emotional when they're buying cars, so they see this shiny red cruise and they got to they're going to pay more because it's red. Because it's red. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And they sometimes, they overlook things that, oh, that's only a set of tires. Well, guess what? Some tires are $400 each, and that's not uncommon at all. So next thing you know, instead of that being a $12,000 car, it's a $13,600 car. So bring somebody else along. Be respectful to the seller. I mean, it's hard sometimes, but you're always going to have a better transaction, whether it be at a dealer or a private party, if everybody's just cool and just relax. We're all just trying to get a car here, so... So, of course, we also want to give it a walk around. I guess when you approach that car, you see the car across the lot and you think, oh, that's the one I've been looking for, looking at. You want to do a walk around, just get a general feel of it. There's a lot of different things you can look at. Some of the body lines, the door lines, just over the surface type inspection. Yes. And so I'm a car buyer too, obviously. I mean, I need to buy the inventory that we have and I buy lots of cars. And so I'm the buyer as well. I do my initial upfront walk around. You can almost every time when you're looking at a vehicle and something doesn't feel right, or it looks kind of not right. There's probably something going on. There's no way to tell until you do your inspection or bring your expert to take a look at things. But you can look for panels that are wavy, gaps that aren't right. If you have a door that opens and, you, and it's rubbing on the fender or something like that, obviously there's been an accident or something along those lines. Look at the tires right away. 
you look at hubcaps or wheels to see if they're dusty and icky that they haven't cleaned it up or the brakes are going to be trouble for you. Does it make sense for the, the buyer to bring a list or a, an inspection sheet with them and kind of do a check off themselves? Absolutely. Organization is key when it comes to buying a car. You have all these things. You're going through financing. You're doing all these other things. Take a look and actually would never hurt to go to a car dealership and take a picture of what the buyer's guide looks at in the window. And then literally yourself, when you go to a private party, just kind of look down all these things and say, you know, I wonder if this is good, that's good, et cetera, et cetera. You always want to drive it. You always want to take it for a nice test drive, listen, smell. Smells are always a big indicator of something silly going on. Just take your time, though. Don't rush. Don't get emotional. Just relax and buy yourself a good car. So I've always said when you take a test drive, all eyes and ears on deck, but you're saying all eyes, ears, and noses on deck. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, elaborate a little bit on the smell. Well, everybody knows what burning coolant smells like. It's coming out of a tailpipe, and that may sound like a 1980s type issue, but it's not. Cars go through intake and head gaskets all the time. It's not unusual. Burning oil still is an issue on some vehicles. There's a group of Chevrolet vehicles that had an issue from 2010 to 2015. They burned oil like an old jalopy, and they've cured that problem, but you could smell and tell that that vehicle is having an issue. And oil leaks have a certain smell. If you smell something burning, you shouldn't smell something burning when you're buying a car, period. Turn the radio off. Turn the radio off. Very good point. Yes, yes. Have the windows up, have the windows down, do it both ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Pet smells, smoker smells, yes. cigars. Pet and like... smoke mold. And it goes back to that flood conversation we had. If you jump in a vehicle and you smell musty or you smell what you'd recognize as a wet environment, either the windows were left open inadvertently or do a little more research because that smells a little musty in there. There's a chance that car got wet. Wet cars are trouble. Or it could be the air conditioner. Correct. So yes. it could be uh, a, mechanical. a normal smell, which deodorize it and you're good. You're good so. to go. Yeah. No, that inspection sheet that you bring along when you're looking at these cars, it's a good place to write things down like that. We do have an inspection sheet listed in an info link online at All About the Car podcast. So make sure you check that off. You can pull it up and print it out and hit the road and look for your car with that list. So Carfax, talk to us about Carfax. Is that a help or who does it help? Well, okay, so I have mixed opinions on Carfax. It's only as good as the information that gets put into it. So Cheryl Tired Services, you guys post your info to Carfax when you service a vehicle. Mm -hmm. I see it on lots of Carfax reports. I believe that Carfax's initial advertising and entire being was don't buy a car without looking up to Carfax, like as if Carfax is going to know if that car is a jalopy. Well, they're going to tell you only if it had had a crash or it came from somewhere questionable or if it's had nine different owners. And that's always a bad sign. It's never going to, unless that service history was put in there by a good shop like Cheryl, you'll never really know if it was maintained. You're only going to tell by looking at the vehicle and doing your own best judgment. So So if I took a vehicle that didn't, I mean, I could have had a perfect maintenance record on this vehicle and whoever I took it to just didn't feed into Carfax, it would have no history whatsoever. Yep, correct. Just emissions tests if you're in a county that does that and annual registrations. So it might be a good place just to check for accidents or something, but that should be on the form too, correct? Yeah, well... Sometimes, and that's, okay. a, that's another thing we can touch on. If a dealer is selling a vehicle that has been damaged in good faith, it's always a good policy for them to just let the people know this thing had a fender bender or it hit a deer. We sell lots of damaged vehicles because we have the body shop. I show the customers the pictures every time. We come clean because there's no reason to hide that. It's, there's no reason to be afraid of a light accident at all. The stuff you want to be afraid of is the cars that were hit real big and frame and other terrible issues like that. But as far as it having been an accident, if it was reported to police, Carfax should have that in there almost every time. The NCIB reports 
that information or has that information on file, which Carfax and AutoCheck and the other various VIN reporting places have. So, Are there any standards when it comes to a used car warranty? What I mean from one car dealer to another? We've all gotten the call from the robocall. Hey, you're a used car warranty. <laughs> so that's big business. And that's not you calling? <laughs> it's not, but I'll sell you a warranty if you want one. But there's a manufacturer's warranty that most all new vehicles have. And that runs out after, you know, three years, 36, or sometimes some of them are doing five-year, 100,000-mile warranties, whatever it is. And then there's the aftermarket warranties companies. Now, we sell an aftermarket warranty at our shop and all dealerships, just about all dealerships do. Another thing, if you're buying at a car dealership and it's including an aftermarket warranty, do a little research on that warranty company because some of them are just kind of shady and fly-by-night companies or they deny claims, just deny, deny, deny. We've honed ours down to one company that we've been using for... 14 years, they're great. They pay claims when they come through, no problem. And most decent dealerships will have a good company. But yeah, their aftermarket warranty companies are a very popular thing. And it's kind of a good idea to buy them if you have it in your budget. Well, especially if you're buying a vehicle that's going to run for another 100,000 miles plus. Yeah, absolutely. So in our cars, I don't want to sound like an advertisement here, but for our cars, we put a warranty on every single car we sell just because we only know as much as we know about the vehicle through our test drives and our various inspections. So it's a good policy to stick a warranty on there because in three months, if that engine blows or something, you're going to be mad, I'm going to be mad, and it's going to cost probably me a lot of money to replace that engine because I don't want you upset. So this way you buy a warranty, you stick it on the car, it's done. So with all of this that we've run through, if you're still not sure about that vehicle, as you talked about earlier, bring it to your service provider. Cheryl Tire and Service, we do that service, like with many providers probably do, but have them check it over and run their inspection on it. Yes, absolutely. And Cheryl does a great job of that. And another thing I want to touch back on the private party sales, cars are being sold for a reason, private party. That's one thing you got to be aware of. A lot of people think they pay too much at a car dealership for a vehicle. Well, an example would be if you're looking at a uh, 2012 Chevy Impala and it's a private party car that's going to sell for $5,000 or you're going to see that car in a car lot for $79.99. The car lot has a warranty. It has four new tires likely, brakes. It's been inspected. It's been gone through. How much is that going to cost you if you buy that private party Impala? There's always the slight chance that you bought a really nice, well-maintained vehicle with new tires. But truth be told, who sells a good vehicle (laughs) that they just don't sell it for no reason. It's being sold because they're A, just completely sick of it, or there's an underlying issue they know about. Because, hey, we all know somebody that needs a good used car. Usually the word of mouth is the quickest way to sell a car that you have for sale. So just be aware when you're buying from private parties. That's all I'm trying to tell everybody. Just do your homework. And you had mentioned earlier, too, and just want to briefly touch on this before we conclude here. There's a shortage of used vehicles. Yes. How does that get in our way? Well, it, it raises the price. It drives, <laughs> yeah, it was right. It drives those prices up, and um, it's a problem right now. And I don't know if it's going to recover anytime soon. So the start of that happened when the pandemic hit. The manufacturers shut down, and so they weren't producing literally millions of cars, and that shorted the industry in general of those new cars, which bring in nice used trades. Well, guess what? The used trades don't exist anymore. So there's your shortage there. Combine that with, again, I touched earlier, interest rates. Interest rates are low. When interest rates are low, used cars sell like crazy because you can get a lot, you can save a lot of money for a lot of car when you can buy a nice used car at a low interest rate. So, and I don't know how that's going to recover because there is a genuine shortage right now. People are buying. I guess with the pandemic, we were all worried about the resiliency of a retail buyer. Not they're out there buying and they're doing the best they can to keep things going. So 
Because I think about that and I think of like the change in business of just people traveling and traveling salespeople. Yes. And will that industry of commercial fleets even reduce further, which is going to put pressure on down the line. There's going to be less new cars or less cars coming out of a fleet. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's a good way of looking at it, too. There was a lot less travel. So right. vehicles I mean, were getting used a lot less and they were not being traded in. Another thing that sounds maybe dark, but with a lot more travel, there's a lot more accidents. And Vehicles that are hit, as long as they're nice, light hits, there's a big market for that out there. And there's a lot of dealerships that like to buy those, junkyards that like to buy those as well. Well, without people driving, there's no accidents and then there's no cars. So it's, uh, we're short all the way around. And before we conclude, I want to thank Jason very much from Badger State Auto Brokers of Wausau for being our on-site expert today. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, guys. I really had a great time today. Yeah, it was fun. Well, we've definitely covered a lot today. And we started off with the budget. And we thought, well, maybe that's it. But no, there was a lot more. So we got into the cost of operating a vehicle on an annual basis. We took a side trip to the Manitowoc Maritime Museum. That was awesome. I'm going to stay on a submarine and go to the sub pub for Hit sure. The sub pub. We talked about all the different ways that you can look for a vehicle to buy and what to do when you find that vehicle. So you know what? We've worked hard. We found the car we like. So now it's just time to enjoy the ride. So right along with us next time when we talk about traveling safely with your pet where it's all about the car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.